Jeremy, Matt, and Ben. Uh, we're going to talk about, from a family perspective, the importance of Christian education versus public education. As always, we'll have our six in the mix trivia. We'll have a hot topic as we look at uh, the latest uh, Netflix documentary called Cuties and thoughts on that. Uh, we'll also have Calling Your Shot focuses on the World Series winner and uh, Feel Good Story of the Week uh, by Ben. And then Jeremy, as always, will close us out with a devotional in Fix Your Eyes. So turn it over to Jeremy. Get us kicked off. Thanks, Matt. One of the uh, foremost topics in all of our lives, I know, for the, the age of life we're in as dads is to uh, send our kids to school. And for that, there's a, there's a pretty good cross-section in just our little group here of what we do as far as our education for our kids is concerned. And uh, from homeschool to charter school to private Christian school to public school, um, we're all over the place with that. And uh, I just want to say from a perspective here of education, that as things have gone through the last year or so, the whole of education has been completely uh, rocked. It has been unsettled, to say the least. And I don't think that we're really looking at a question whether we should go Christian verse uh, public school, uh, because at this point, there are so many there's so many changes to education that it's really hard to put your, your finger and, and hand on, on one thing that's that's not moving. Everything is moving. It will continue to move at a fast pace. I thought it was interesting this week. I read a, an article from Nancy Lee DeVos, uh, who said in an interview on Fox that over 160 private schools uh, have closed their doors because of things linked to the epidemic, uh, funding issues. And for most private schools, it's generally speaking tuition-driven dollars, unless you have endowments or other things that would support your educational programming. And it is sad to know that that segment of our education uh, in this country which is a, a freedom that we've enjoyed and uh, is, is going to be uh, hurting in, in ways that we really haven't hurt before. And I think because of people's um, salaries, uh, jobs, all those things that help pay those tuition dollars for the private school are no longer available. And so the question is, what do you do? Uh, homeschool, then public school, all of these things, charter school, they're all available options. And I wanted to make three observations as I'm in education about all uh, students, all schools, and all staff. And I'll start with schools. All schools have suffered uh, in, in the last nine months because of the issues that have happened. All schools have. There have been fruit baskets upset all, all the way through, whether it's the virtual learning stuff, curriculums, um, online uh, scenarios. Uh, so schools administration and, and the platforms that they tried to have, have run on in the past have, have kind of been wavered and shaked a little bit. And as things have settled out a little bit, that, that's calmed it back down a bit. But all schools have had that issue. Staff, all staff have been frustrated one way or the other. There have been frustrations, uh, whether it's with policies, the red tape, students not showing up to class, parents not getting students, you know, uh, internet access so that they can attend class. All these kinds of things have really frustrated staff and, and they're in a tough spot. And then I would argue that all students have also lost on some type of educational level. So I don't care if you're a private school or public school, charter, uh, virtual, all of those platforms have struggled uh, in one way, shape or another. And so, you know, the question today in front of us isn't, What's, what's right, what's wrong? It's more of 
how have we navigated through uh, in our in our choices, and how has that how has that been a benefit, and how have how has that been a blessing? Uh, in our family's lives today. So for me, I'll start with just saying that my family is is privileged to go to a Christian school that's located in our town and uh, has been able to be benefited by that education for um, the entirety of their, of their uh, educational program and their lives. And it's been a very, very great thing. It's been a secure thing. And uh, we've, we've seen some benefits of that. Uh, I'll share with you guys that my daughter is a senior this year. And so we just went through the whole senior picture thing. And, you know, when those got posted by mom uh, tonight on Facebook and other places and sent out to family members, I had this little tug in my heart going, oh, man, where did those essentially 13 years of education go? Where, where in the world did that time go? And I have to say that I am very thankful for the teachers that God has brought to her, people that she has learned underneath and is going to continue to learn underneath so that one day uh, she can be a, a huge benefit, whether in a vocation, whether in ministry, uh, working with kids. But it's all because of, of the foundations that have been laid at school. And so I'm very thankful for the opportunities that I have I have been afforded in my family to be able to give that to my kids and the stability that we've had. We have not moved in school at all. And so they've been in the same place for the entirety of their career. And so I think that has been a blessing as well. And I've seen the opposite of that happen where kids move because of military, move because of jobs, move all over the place and, and little transient and how difficult that is. So anyway, as far as, as far as your kids' education, let me ask the question, how has it been a blessing in your family? And, and maybe give some reasons behind that and, uh, and share with, with uh, the listeners today uh, what that looks like for you guys. Well, education in my life, of course, it's been a driving force for me for most of my life. I feel like growing up, I, I had the opportunity to experience every type of educational setting, whether it was a Christian school, a home school, or a public school. I got to, I got to see all of it. And as, as I've gotten older, I've come more and more to appreciate Christian education. I, I didn't have—I I would say I didn't have a bad experience in my public school. It was relatively rural, and I—I I had no issues sharing my thoughts, my beliefs. And back in that day, I had a liberal history teacher, and I'm a pretty conservative guy, but we had a mutual respect for each other and an appreciation for each other. It was—it was pretty neat, actually. It seemed like a long time ago, but for us as parents now, and again, having taught in a Christian school for 11 years and still working in education, having a Christian worldview delivered to my daughters is of utmost importance. I, I can't speak as of recently what the public school experience is like. I, I don't know. I, I only can hear things about it. One of my concerns, I would say, is that it seems there is almost a a marriage of um, education, public education, and the Democratic Party. I don't think there should be a marriage between public education and any political party. That's so to me. That's a concern. And typically, with the Republican Party, you've got a party that stands more with how things have been, traditions, and the Democratic Party. They are more progressive. They want to see new things, try things out, maybe get away with traditions. So that in and of itself is a concern for me because I think we need to understand our traditions, appreciate our traditions. And I, I don't think that's happening as much in public education. I know I know public teachers, public school teachers, there, there are some good people out there. But my fear is that it might be overly political at this point. I, I want to see more freedom of thought and expression in, in public schools. And it probably varies from district to district, I would say. But, but nationally, I would like to see that. But our, our hope as parents is to have the opportunity to give our girls a Christian education. We've been homeschooling our girls uh, ever since they started. And that's been a great blessing. Both my wife and I have education backgrounds. And it's really neat this year, our eighth grader started algebra. So my wife has transitioned her to me. So I've, I've really enjoyed going through that with her because I used to teach that. I mean, I taught that for many years and now I've got my own daughter learning algebra from me. So that's pretty neat. 
So we're, we're going to do our best and understanding the Bible gives the directive to parents to be the ones responsible for their kids' education. We're taking that seriously, and we're going to do that as long as we can and uh, from the best possible worldview that we can, which we understand comes from the Bible. So that's, that's my perspective from it. That's good, Ryan. I, I appreciate the idea there of worldview. And no matter what scenario you're in, uh, worldview does drive how uh, how the platform works for you. And that really is based in the family, not necessarily the school. At least the foundation of that bubbles out there. I'm curious, uh, the rest of you, what, uh, what you think there, Matt? Go ahead. Yeah, I'll share just a microcosm actually that happened today. And it's interesting that we're talking about this point. We, you know, for a, a large part of the time that we've been going through the pandemic, our church has done online church, and it was only about the last three weeks or so that we went back to church. Well, we had some, you know, kind of some sniffles, sore throats last night into this morning, and so we decided to do the online church, which we're very familiar with. What was interesting is it wasn't working online, so I said, okay, well, I'll get it on Facebook on my phone, I'll cast it to the TV, and the sound wasn't working. And so, you know, I look at Casey, you know, it, we can't, we're not doing church. It's just like, we can just do church ourselves. And and for me, it was like, my mind hadn't gotten to do that. And, and she's like, she brings up the most basic, simple point. And yeah, we, we bear that, we bear that responsibility to educate our children. And so for me, it was, it was kind of a smack in the, in the face a little bit to say like, man, the main role is not the church in educating the children. It's not the school to educate the children. It's, it, it's, it's my job, Right. It's Casey's job. It's you know, the, the husband and the wife working together to to share those things and create those those teaching sessions and those teaching opportunities. The church and the school are partners in that, but can never take the driver's seat, right? If we really truly want to do it um, the right way. And I, you know, in our time, you know, I'm grateful for anybody who chooses to teach children. I think God's given them a heart, whether they're saved or or even not so much. Uh, maybe they're not saved, but they, the, the people that teach children just have a passion for it and, and, and they're gifted. And everybody in education, you know, God bless you. <laughs> You're doing fantastic work. You know, in our, in our journey, we've been uh, mainly homeschool and now we're transitioning a little bit more to uh, the Christian school, both for our oldest three and then our youngest uh, as well. And again, what's been very important for us is that they do have those Christian influences, because unfortunately the world is permeating. It's got its tentacles everywhere. And God knows the devil's going after the education system. The earlier you can indoctrinate anybody into whatever system you talk about, the more likely they're going to, you know, they are to embrace that. And I think the, unfortunately the public school has been uh, really a pawn in the game of um, politicians, but ultimately, as we know, right, powers of darkness, right, that 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 are really warring against the you know the, the Lord and His uh, uh, and His kingdom as well. So, you know, for us, it, it it is an absolutely critical thing, and just recognizing that every day, every moment's an opportunity to learn things and and teach those to our children. It's been it's been meaningful me, to me, Matt, to watch uh, both you and your wife make sure that each of your kid has what she needs for the next year of, of education and be willing to be bold enough to say, you know what, we need to make a change because that that is a difficult thing to take on as a responsibility as a parent because transitions are hard. Let's face it. I mean, and, and then what if, right? The what if question haunts a parent. What if this doesn't work? What if we're still back? What if this puts us beyond, you know, behind even further, and God gives grace in those in those moments, and He gives leadership if we call on Him. And I, I I've just been, I, I've enjoyed watching your family go through some of those things and and come out stronger. And so that's been good. Uh, ben or uh, Don, either of you have uh, have something to chime in here and and uh, help help us understand a little bit. Well, Jeremy, the one thing I would highlight from when you introduced this topic was that you said there there isn't a wrong answer here. Right there's there's options uh, depending on what community you live in as to what school um, you'd send your your children to. Um, for us, um, for my wife and I, we send our boys um, to a, a Christian a classical Christian school, and and we've really enjoyed it. We've had great teachers. Um, we've had a very good. The boys have had a very good experience there, and have a lot of good friends, and have have thrived there, which you know we're thankful for. We're really thankful for. 
but I also have very good friends who are teachers in the in the public school and a couple different school districts around our area, and they are, you know, they are good people, and they do a great job educating all the kids that come through their classrooms as well. And I remember when we were deciding what school to send our boys to, as they were uh, going to be entering that kindergarten year. We toured um, a couple of the public schools in our area. We toured the school we ended up selecting and, and another school, and and they, they were all good options. And I really appreciated as well what Matt said, that it's our responsibility as parents to, to really lay that groundwork, to get that foundation going. And when no matter what school you go to, there's, there's pitfalls that happen during that school day. It doesn't matter if it's a Christian school. There are you know, a variety of things that can be a challenge in those situations too. So when they, when the kids come home and we can hopefully have time to chat a little bit that evening about what happened and process things and help put that in, hopefully in perspective and have a, have some good conversations with our boys. Um, you know, that, that's really critical for us to be a part of that and be active in their education as much as we can be, even though we're sending them off to school. That's good. Don, how about you? So we've been fortunate to uh, have an opportunity to send our kids to a charter school. And uh, that charter school prides itself on classical education, you know, teaching philosophy similar to what Ben uh, school. But our school is considered a public school, even though it's a charter school. So um, at the school, they're, you know, they're taught Latin, Spanish, Greek. And if you opt for Greek, it does count for college credits. So that's pretty cool in the high school, in the high school level, of course. Um, they have an emphasis on the classical literature, Greek mythology, history, and they and they strive to prepare the scholars to be uh, to become active and responsible leaders and members of their communities. I mean, it's right there in their mission. But like I said, they're 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 state funded. They're a public school and they're required to meet all the state education guidelines and requirements. Now, if this charter school was not an option, we would have seriously, you know, considered a private school education. Um, but that's just because of our district that we're in. I mean, our district is his, just struggles historically and, and currently is is a mess. So there's no way oh, Jen and I would have felt uh, comfortable with sending our kids to one of the local public schools in our area. But that doesn't mean that I'm against public education by no means. But it's just the situation that we're in. And I think that because of the school that they're in and the public school education they're receiving, this has also given us multiple occasions to be able to sit down with our kids and make sure they understand the difference between the secular worldview that is being taught to them and the biblical worldview that we as parents are trying to model and teach in our home. Um, we've had healthy, healthy conversations about, you know, climate change, uh, global warming, whatever we're calling it these days, historical, you know, inaccuracies that that seep into the um, the critical thinking in, in history, uh, gay marriage, Big Bang Theory, everything right down to sex, right? I mean, we've got, we, we've had just these amazing opportunities to teach truth to our daughters because of it. And it's been fantastic. The education they're receiving is rigorous and challenging. It's not meant for every kid. And the biggest thing that I think that uh, makes me so proud of the school is that the expectations are incredibly high for these kids. And it's amazing to me to watch each and every these each and every one of these kids meet those and oftentimes exceed those expectations. I mean, it's I mean we're we're you know we're giving these kids a, a a high mark to shoot for, and they're they're nailing it almost every time. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And when we I heard this topic come up, you know the real concern that I have in education is at the collegiate level. And we are already seeing the effects this is having on our country. I mean, when liberal professors have a chance to preach their socialistic views to to, the, to our kids and that threaten the very fabric of our, our nation's core beliefs and traditions, I mean, how can we not be surprised when we look around and see the levels of chaos and insanity happening on our streets, cities, schools, colleges, and in our government? So I think our role as parents 
not just to teach our kids a Christian worldview, but it's also to create in them a, an ability to be independent, functioning adults. I mean, that's when Jen and I had kids. <laughs> we wanted to make sure not only, like I said, that that Christian worldview is taught to them, but we also want to make sure that they can function outside the home when they when they go away. And yes. they are absolutely responsible for their own actions. And they got to understand that. And I think the biggest deficit in our nation right now that causes us the most struggle is our family and our parents taking responsibility for their kids. And that starts with their education. Yeah, I want to I just want to cap this off by saying, you know, scripture that keeps coming to my mind is teach them diligently, precept upon precept, truth upon truth. And you cannot get out of that in any of the, you know, avenues that we have to our disposal of teaching our kids and educating them. Uh, and Don, I think you are spot on. And to come back to the Nancy Lee DeVos uh, article and in her interview, you know, some people look at that and say, okay, schools are closing. All right. But when I see that and I read that, what my mind goes to, the moorings and the pillars of our truth and our faith that have the ability to be taught to these kids, which are going to be the next generation leaders, without that, we are left with the moorings and the uh, pilings that are given by other educational pl platforms that may not have the standard of truth and the level of truth that I believe is biblical and is demanded in our responsible uh, worldview and how to manage and have the dominion mandate to manage God's creation while on this earth. And if the tide keeps going the way it is, it's, you know, it's tough to stand in that tide. I can tell you because I stand in the face of budget deficits every year. I stand working with families who can't pay tuition. I stand in the gap and try to make it worth it and worth having another year and another year and another year of these school of school years because I know the cost is way, way, way less than the dollars they can't afford to pay or I can't afford to pay. The cost is what America looks like and an America without God is the worst possible and the, the most offensive to our founding fathers and those who came over here for that very reason. We, are, we, we were founded to be able to worship God in how, the way we, we wanted to. And uh, to, to rip that away really takes our country from the, the smallest and most what seems in some minds the most insignificant, our educational platforms, we can dump as and many million of dollars as we want into it. It will not. It will not teach precept upon precept. We need committed believers in the public, in the charter, in the private, the Christian, homeschool families teaching truth. And uh, if we do that, we win. We we will establish another generation. If we do not, we risk losing the relationship that we've had and the blessings we've had with God in one simple generation. Lord, help us not do that. I'm going to turn it over to Matt again, uh, and uh, we'll jump into the trivia. You guys know what time it is. That's it. Six in the mix trivia. Here we go. Guys, as always, your name is your buzzer. I encourage you to be Johnny on the spot on this one. Uh, this, is the, uh, this is going to be a Bible question. Bible question. You're going to want to be on your game for this one. Okay? Now we're ready. Your name, your buzzer. Here we go. Saul was the first king of Israel. Who was the second? Brian. Ryan. David. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Saul was the first king of Israel. Who was the second? Not a loss. You know what I love about this is you can have like in baseball, there's like a, maybe a pitch you set up, you know, set up for to get the strikeout pitch. I might have set that one up a little. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> so this was this one was news to me. But if you look in Second uh, Samuel two verses eight through ten, Abner, the commander of Saul's army 
made an executive decision, and before David was uh, crowned king, uh, a man by the name of Ishbosheth was set up as uh, the second king of Israel. Second Samuel two, verses eight through ten. How long was he the king? Uh, it looks like it might have been he reigned over Israel two years. Uh, it does say that the tribe of Judah, however, remained loyal to David. If you remember, there was a lot of angst during that time, and but uh, technically, uh, David was not the second uh, king of Israel. Ryan, your thoughts? Matt saw you coming a mile away on that one, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, wish I, not... I wish everybody could see your face right now, Ryan. Just disbelief and just. Well, I mean, I, I'm Googling it, and of course, it's David from what I'm seeing. So I, I don't know where you come up with these uh, little niche niche ideas. But Out of the Bible, Ryan. He read the verse out of the Bible. <laughs> and he's yeah, Googling it, right? Does yeah, that right. just happen? Did just, yeah. that just happen? <laughs> hey, Ryan, in 1 Samuel, we see, we see it's David, right? David anointing king, 1 Samuel 16. But the uh, caveat of 2 Samuel. I'm I gonna, think we need to go back. We need to go back to the first topic where Christian education is important. So <laughs> let's go to the Bible and not Google. Good, good challenge, guys. Well, no, that is better than what I was going to say. I was going to say that toolbar guy. What was that guy's name? Toolbar. <laughs> toolbar. Toolbar. There it is. Yeah. Toolbar or toolbar guy. <laughs> that might have been several months before the monarchy was set up, Don, but uh, nice try. Um, Okay, well, let's get into the music side. See if please uh, do, please do, brother, brother Ryan can redeem himself again. Your name is your buzzer. One, one of, one of, one of the greatest, one of the greatest songs of all time. Are you guys ready? Well, Here we if it's go. One of the greatest songs. Yeah, we're all ready. <laughs> Here we go. In three, two, one. Ah, uh, yes. Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. Make me a servant, Ron Hamilton. I'm sorry, that's not correct. It's a good guess. And long be the day. Done. Done. Go ahead. Where is a Gideon? That is not correct. Oh, Who's singing? Do you guys know who's singing right now? Is this Ron, is this Ron Hamilton? No, this is not Ron Hamilton. Mac Lynch. That's correct. Jeremy is correct. And Mac I cannot, Lynch, what's the name of the song? Hang on, hold on. Steps of a Good Man are ordered by the Lord. <laughs> I guess I got it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Boy, we have had some deep tracks. Yeah. Yeah, I thought way deep. In the uh, well, it's interesting in the in the pantheon of permissible music at Pillsbury. Yeah, I, yeah. Right. Uh, this song would have been top five. It would have been at the pinnacle. And I played this song a lot. You know, when I wasn't listening to the non-approved music, um, I would listen to this. This this uh, CD was really good, and this was probably my favorite song off of it. I think. What, what, when would you were listening to this? I don't. When did you listen to this? I did not. I probably, you know, I probably did not listen to one approved song while I was in college. Matt, so yeah, so it took. That played this a lot for me to try to get me to repent while I was his roommate. <laughs> <laughs> it, it took me a while to get over the uh, Don influence on music. So, uh, that's why I had to have my sophomore year by myself, uh, clearing things out of my mind. But uh, cleanse himself. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. No, I thought for sure because did some of you guys? I did not, but there was a uh, like a Mac and Beth Lynch concert, I believe, somewhere in the cities that a bunch of folks from Pillsbury went up to, and uh, I thought I thought one of you guys might have gone there, but but maybe not. And they, everybody came back and said, "Man, he was such Mac Lynch was this cool cat that was just kind of standing by the piano, and you know, he was really he was really great. And he he was got an incredible voice. I, I thought they did like a didn't you remember when they did the October things? They invited all the high schoolers to come. I thought he was one of the guest artists at, at mm. Philly. 
and I thought that that song was sung at Pilly, not the first time it was sung, but I remember you guys singing the choir backup or something to that, or maybe you sang it as a solo and then you guys went into that, because I was never in the choir, but I, I just... This just brought back, I could not remember what the music hall at Pillsbury's uh, music hall, but wasn't that Kelly Hall? Wasn't it Kelly Hall named Kelly Hall? I should remember going in there a couple of times. And I think, I think, the, you know, all the music people had that playing in their offices constantly. It just seemed like Mac Lynch, Mac Lynch, Mac Lynch. Anyway. Yeah, I thought I thought Kelly Hall was where the swimming pool was and the track thing. That's the one. That maybe that. Maybe out. I'm getting it wrong. Wasn't I, that wasn't that be. Kelly Hall? No, Ryan. Kelly, I don't Kelly think Hall so. Was music. I think Kelly was music. Oh, was was that yeah. music? What was yeah. the one that got torn down then? What am I thinking of? Lindsay. What was Lindsay? Oh, that's right. It was Lindsay. That's, that's right. right. Lindsay that's right. Call. The track above and the swimming pool below. My freshman so, year, my goodness, I couldn't re- believe there was an actually functioning swimming pool in the bottom of that place. That that's right. Sometimes in that. Wow. I had my I had my knee surgery my the, my freshman year, uh, and I think I was down in the pool trying to do some uh, you know some uh, rehab work there. on it. Yeah, I half the half the rework I needed on my knee was because Don still made me sleep on the top bunk, so I still had to climb up with my with my busted knee because because Jamoka wouldn't give up the, uh, the the bottom bunk, but I guess he was trying to make me a better man, character builder. <laughs> Tree. That's where I probably started appreciating Mac Lynch's song, "The Steps of a Good Man," because I couldn't take a step. But. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, I I think uh, I think Frank Garlock was the one that came to Pillsbury one of was those it? times. Okay. I think it, I think it was Frank yeah. Garlock, and I and I'm really disappointed you know I didn't get that one. I I'm, think I'm, I think I'm you're upset. right. Now that you say that, I thought it was. Well, Mac, it's interesting. But... Yeah, it was interesting because I, you know, though the setup certainly for the first question was for you. I figured you would get the comeback. I figured the uh, yeah. you would go one for two, Ryan, on that. I. I thought for sure you'd have a shot on that one. I I should have, and you're you're right. That was a good setup for me. And I, the funny thing is, my brother Chad, I I call him Mac Lynch, uh, because okay. he is he is very uh, conscious of music. And so in our family, I call him Mac Lynch. And you know when I when I guessed the song "Make Me a Servant," it was between Hamilton and Lynch. But I just I don't know. I don't know if I can separate their voices very well. But yeah. Very similar voices. So, all right. Well, moving away from trivia, that's always a fun one, man. That energizes my week. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, anyway, we're going to move into uh, you know a, a hot topic. Perhaps you've heard of the uh, the latest Netflix documentary called Cuties that uh, got released. I don't know a couple weeks ago. That, uh, in short, is about um, I believe it's in another country where uh, a 11-year-olds or around that age are dressed up and they're dancing provocatively. And I believe the intention of the story is to, to help show the world, you know, what's going on and, and say, hey, it's not right. We should we should be against that. But for me, the way that they present it is just um, incredibly um, immoral uh, and really has no place as far as a documentary. I think there's ways we can highlight you know, whether it's trafficking, taking advantage of underage children, but to the point where you would expose them in order to do that for, for, for us, uh, for our family was not, was so out of, out of bounds and surprising. And granted, Netflix wasn't, I wouldn't say a a Christian based (laughs) uh, video or movie service in the first place, but um, as a result of that coming out and the stand that they took on that, uh, we canceled our Netflix account. Uh, but certainly curious, what are your guys' thoughts? You know, for me, it, it obviously jostled us. We have an 11-year-old daughter. Uh, we've got five daughters. Um, so it, we're very cautious on what they're looking like and what their understanding is uh, as well. So, again, for us, it was, again, a, a sign of the times. But uh, certainly curious, what are your guys' thoughts on that thing coming out? Uh, Don, looks like you may have a, a thought on that. You know, at first, when you when you brought this topic up uh, last week, you know, I thought it would be very one sided, and obviously, looking at the, uh, you know, you couldn't you couldn't open up your internet page or your Twitter account and see come across that what is it that min- minute and a half video clip of those eleven year olds, you know, dancing around that would you know make even what Joe Biden blush. 
<laughs> but I mean, seriously, it, it, I, I dug a little deeper into it and found, you know, the message that you were talking about, Matt, it was, you know, um, what they were trying to emphasize. And let me guys, let me, let me just read the synopsis that was put out about this movie it's uh the synopsis is 11 year old amy her mother Miriam, and her younger siblings have newly relocated to a home in an impoverished suburb of paris awaiting amy's father to rejoin the family from senegal but as Miriam becomes increasingly distracted by challenges within her marriage, Amy begins to feel the weight of family responsibilities and eager to seek refuge from her life at home. She becomes fascinated with a free-spirited and rebellious group of girls at her school. Hoping for a taste of freedom and the chance to become popular, she convinces them to let her join their dance crew, which the girls have dubbed Cuties. But as they rehearse for a local dance contest, Amy finds herself increasingly torn between her traditional Muslim upbringing and the diverse cultures and attitudes of her new friends in her adopted city. Now, I also want to point out that the father that she was waiting for to come home from Senegal was also bringing home a second wife. She was married. She, so this child was in a polygamous uh, family, and they were getting uh, the family was getting their the bedroom ready for this new wife to come and live with them. And this is actually the the story of the director and the direct. I can't. I, I won't even try to pronounce her name, but um, all the stories that you see in the film are based on the stories that she was told and and realized. That, that these girls were learning to construct themselves in, a, in their vision of femininity based on what they saw in social media. And she realized that the girls were growing up with a vision that was objectifying of women. And they were growing up with this idea of women being an object and a woman's worth and value being based on the number of likes they received. So, um, so she actually went out and started actually listening to kids and bringing these girls in and into a climate of trust where they could discuss an issue of hypersexualization and objectification of young girls and make them a part of the discussion. And then she explained to them that she was going to be making this film. So the controversy was that this, you know, that this film was not only, you know, what it portrayed on Netflix, but it was also an activist film. And so, you know, they have these young actresses become activists along with the families, right. That they, that allowed them, these kids to do this. So, so if we think about it, here, we have a, a film with a message that, like Matt had said, originated out of something that was um, talking about hypersexualization and, and objectification of women. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't have come at a better time, I guess, you know, in the idea that we've got Cardi B coming out with that filth that she put out on, on her uh, WAP uh, song. And, and then also with what's going on in our world today with Jeffrey Epstein, um, Harvey Weinstein, sexual trafficking, head, headlining everything in our media where, you know, happenstance that Hollywood and media tries to ignore. So we have this film and it goes to the extreme with its message, obviously. And there's and no doubt it'd be used to only, I think, obviously, it's going to be used to only encourage pe pedophilia. But growing up, and I thought about this, and I was thinking as I think about this, we all lived have lived through this glorification of what was happening there. We've, we've lived through the glorification of violence, I think, in movies, right? We I remember uh, growing up, movies with blood and gore was the right now is the norm, and I remember back when Raiders of the Lost Ark was a big hit. It was unbelievable, right? We actually, you know, so, I mean, the the it was considered like crazy that you didn't really see a guy get cut up and shredded up by an airplane prop. You didn't, see, but but you saw somebody's face melt, you know. And we're sitting there glorifying all this violence that's happening, and we look at it now, and it's just norm, right? It's 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 crazy if you don't see a, a head explode in a movie nowadays, right? Same thing with with gay gay couples wouldn't have seen that 20 years ago, but now it's the norm. And 
It also brought me to think of a film that maybe you guys remember with, and I might, I don't know if this correlation is way off, and this is probably something I should have ran by Jen before I even said it. But, uh, but it, Famous last words. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> In 1972, there was a Christian film that was, was called A Thief in the Night. A Thief in the Night. Right. right? I remember that. Everybody remember that. I remember that. Yeah. It was directed by Donald Thompson. He actually happened to die seven years ago. Now, the film was obviously about the end times, if you guys remember, and the rapture of the church. And I'm old enough to remember the controversy behind this film. It was so stinking scary. You were basically peeing your pants and you were basically, they were using a scare tactic to convert kids to Christianity. And they were, you know, it was so incredibly graphic. I'll never forget the final scene, the guillotine scene, when they marched those Christians out and they put their heads, you get their heads ready to go through the guillotine and they got the blood on the guillotine. They got the, the, uh, <laughs> they got the, uh, the, the laundry basket to catch their head full of blood. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable at the time. And I remember seeing this as a kid. Now, I think actually they actually stopped the video where I saw that they didn't show that part, or maybe I can't remember, but they went to an extreme with that film. And what my point is, is this filmmaker went to an extreme with this film. And it's, and I obviously, because they went to that extreme um, uh, of, of the message, I think the, the, the message got lost and they, they it's not about, um, what the true intent of that film was, and that's a shame. And it's yeah, I've I've never I haven't seen I haven't seen a, a, a minute of the film, um, and I also know that that minute and a half uh, clip on the internet. After that, from what I'm told, after that, from what I'm told is is that kid one of those kids realizes that she starts she goes away crying, and realizes and she she you know tries to fit in with all the kids by you know going and get doing jump rope and things like that i mean it's that kind of a uh transition which is kind of deceiving i mean we're all kind of on the right on the you know the right uh, the the ultimate right or the conservative side is always just pushing this narrative that it's just you know kids getting thrown out there and being uh, sexualized and everything like that yeah it is but also there's a, another side to it but I'm still, I'm, I'm still in the camp. Yeah, that it, it was, it was the wrong message sent. But um, the intent, I think, there could be, you know, there's something there with the intent of the message. Two thoughts. Number one, the scene that kept me up at night from Thief in the Night was not the guillotine one, but it was the one where they're going through the house and you just hear that the the phone with the dial tone. Dan, 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 dan. Dude, I'm telling you, I was freaked out about that. Where'd they go? There's no way. Uh, yeah, I remember that. That was a very impactful movie. It's an interesting correlation you make um, to that as far as uh, from a, maybe a shock value. And I guess I've got two thoughts on that. Number one, you know, there, there's no, there, in no way do we want to downplay the fact that that, you know, trafficking ex exploitation of kids is happening. Uh, for sure. But when you take a look at let's let's take another movie. Let's take a look at the movie Fireproof that came out. Right. That movie was about the pornography. Right. And 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 the the, the deadly uh, effect that that's had on men and women uh, a lot, lot men. I, I think women can fall prey to that, too. But they portrayed it in a way that was not as graphic as they certainly could have done it. And so I think, you know, to make your point, I guess, is one thing, but when you encourage the very thing you say you're trying to discourage, that's where I lose the message. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's kind of, again, for me, you know, a way where the, the world, the, you know, the world, the flesh and the devil is trying to push its agenda uh, and make it sound good. It sounds good on the surface, but yeah, deep down, you just see right through it for me. I, I can't, I can't dig it. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just add that uh, a tweet from a Democrat I kind of appreciate this one. She's probably one of my favorite 
Democrats besides Ben, of course, uh, Tulsi, <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard. She said, Net- Netflix child porn cuties will certainly whet the appetite of pedophiles and help fuel the child sex trafficking trade. One in four victims of trafficking are children. It happened to my friend's 13-year-old daughter. Netflix, you are now complicit. And I, I agree with what both of you guys have said so far, uh, that there are ways to get the message across without giving uh, you know, a visualization to the degree that they have. And it's hard for me. To, I've, I've not watched it. I've just read some things. I've tried to look at both, both angles. You've got those defenders on one side saying, yeah, this message needs to get out. The people on the right, they're, they're going too crazy for no reason. This is an important message. And then you've got those of us who come from a traditional background and, and like to see standards applied that will last the test of time. And we see this stuff. We're like, well, culture continues to take a downward spiral. And that's just that's just where we're at right now. Don, I think you set a good example into, you know, looking a little bit deeper and seeking to understand. I think as Christians, there are times where we tend to rush to judgment and and say, hey, this this is all that this is about. Instead of truly trying to dig in and understand, I don't think we would ever say that's okay to do that, but trying Absolutely. to understand what, what what's it about. And then we can articulate, I think, in a better way rather than just say say it's completely wrong. I think we do have to do some digging and, and, and research on that. But I, again, I do think it's a sign of the times. Um, you know, they're gonna, it's going to push and push, right? Evil men will wax worse and worse. And um, it's, it's no surprise. And unfortunately, now it's, it doesn't seem to be any protection for the children at all, uh, which is sad. All right, going to turn it over to Orion for calling your shot. Thanks. So we have had some opportunities so far in our podcast series to talk about some predictions related to sports, and so this one will be our next in that in that series. And I want to think about baseball a little bit more. And we've talked about the Twins already. Our most most of us cheer for the Twins on a, on a regular basis. They're a little more dependable these days than our, our Vikings, for sure. Um, but I, I think as we look ahead, and, and I'm not exactly even sure when the calendar says it'll be time for the World Series. I mean, typically that's, that's a, what, end of October uh, type of event. And so with this shortened season, I'm not sure how that's been moved around. I feel like the season has just started. Uh, but here we are now. We've got teams clenching playoff berths. That's already happening. The Twins just did that. Uh, but now I want to just see from what you've seen this year, what do you guys think about who the World Series champion is going to be? And so I want to see if we have any homers uh, making any predictions here or if we've got some other uh, other folks following other teams and feel pretty comfortable with picking them. So I'll just go ahead and start. I've got got our names written down here. Jeremy, we'll start with you. Who? Uh... Hey Ryan, just a second before we give our guesses here, or actually, I mean, our well researched and educated guesses that we're going to give later on. But have you kind of seen the format of how all this is going to go down for the playoffs? With the first round, all games will be played at the higher seed, right? And then after that, it all goes neutral site. Um, you know, which I think will be. Not that, not that we've had to worry about fans at all because they haven't really been allowed in to watch the games, but just thinking through going into this playoff bubble and, you know, it, you kind of look at it on paper and it seems like there's two or three teams that will really be the most likely candidates on paper and maybe it plays out that way. But just I wonder what these unusual circumstances will do as we, um, you know, kind of walk through the playoffs and see – which teams can handle the controversy or not controversy, but handle the, the unusual circumstances of going through the playoffs. But Well, and even, even one more point to bring up along those lines, Ben, I, I just read this today, the best of three series, let's say that Minnesota hosts it, right? The Minnesota twins cannot stay at their home during that series. They will be quarantined in a hotel during the playoffs. So it's interesting, you know, the, they won't necessarily be sleeping in their own bed or seeing their family. It'll be a uh, away game, but at home, it's, it is a very odd set of circumstances. Yeah. And with the expanded teams allowed into the playoffs this year, it, it will be unlike anything we've seen with, with baseball playoffs before. So yeah, different things to think about. Some of those home field advantages certainly fall away later on in the playoffs. So 
Jeremy, who, who do you have uh, winning the World Series this year? Yeah, so my thinking is because this is such an odd year, we got to go with a team. I'm going to pick a team that hasn't been, you know, really in contention for a long time, uh, but is playing well, has a decent record. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, has just as good a shot as anybody else in these circumstances, but it's going to be the Oakland Athletics. Mm. Very nice. Got got it down. They are an interesting team. The the movie Moneyball, if you've all seen that, gives you a bit of an appreciation for that franchise that doesn't have a lot of cash typically to spend. That's right. That's right. Donnie, how about you? I'm going to go with a Dodgers-White Sox World Series and the Dodgers winning it. Uh, Dodgers, I think, like Ben said, this is uh, going off on paper. That's all we can do, right? Going off on paper. Because these, I think, are the two best teams right now. Uh, you know, the Rays, I think you could make a make a case for in the American League. But I think it's going to be the White Sox. I think they just that, – that rookie they signed, that they didn't even see play a game in the MLB. And that guy is just unbelievable, that center fielder they got. I can't remember the guy's name. But Luis Robert. Oh, my word. He's, yeah, he's, a, he's good. He's, a, he, he's good. So I think it's just and, – and remember the – and the World Series is all going to be played in – in uh, Texas. So the entirety of that season is, or that series is going to be played in Texas. And I just think, you know, you throw out all of the crazy things that happened in the postseason at all these different uh, fields and stadiums in the postseason. Uh, they all, the fans not being a part of this postseason baseball, baseball postseason is going to be a huge, huge deal for uh, to make these results. I think, just by paper alone, it tells. I look at it on paper and I see the Dodgers are the best. They're going to win. All right. Got it. Matt, who do you got? So baseball is about peaking at the right time. Um, unfortunately, Chicago did not peak at the right time. Uh, they peaked a hair too early. Sorry, Brother Don, to uh, disappoint you. They will not get to the World Series. The Minnesota Twins, however, will beat back the postseason demons. They will get to the World Series, and they will vanquish the Atlanta Braves. Reminiscent of 1991, it will go seven games, and uh, the Twins will be victorious. Uh, we will peak at the right time. we got too much depth, too much experience, and our pitching is starting to round into form. Oh, I love having a homer. I, some of you guys are such good homers. It's just, it's a blessing. So thank you. I, I love the optimism. And after seeing two weeks of the Vikings, I really hope uh, you are. I really hope you are right. We got a homer still living in 1991, it appears. <laughs> we shall see. Right. We right. Shall see. That's a good, that's a good point. And I like the historical reference there, the twins and Braves. So that would almost be a 30 year, uh, difference there all right ben what do you got i would love if matt was right i'm <laughs> gonna start there i i really man that would be that would be a beautiful thing at my one of my one of my other former college roommates is from georgia so he's always cheering for the braves and to see a braves twins uh world series would be wonderful but unfortunately that's not gonna happen the world series will be the dodgers and the yankees and the evil oh. empire is oh, going to win. You talk about peaking at the, pick them. You talk about peaking at the right time. The Yankees are nine and one in their last ten games. Everybody's healthy, and I hate to say it, but the Yankees are going to win the World Series. That is, I hate, I hate the Yankees, man. I hate them. <laughs> Benny, Benny, you just you just continued to never, never, <laughs> never, never disappoint. Well, let me put it to you this way, Don. If I'm wrong, then that's good for every all of the rest of you. Because not only do I not predict this correctly, but then on the flip side, the Yankees lose, and we're all happy about that. Yep, that's good. That's good. Unfortunately, Ben stole my World Series matchup. I've got wow. the same two teams in the World Series, but I have the Dodgers winning. I feel like the Yankees have had a hard time staying healthy. I think they're going to maybe lose one or two of their key pieces. The Dodgers will stay strong. And the former baseball franchise founded in Brooklyn that went out west, the L.A. Dodgers will 
pull it off. So that that is my pick. So we all have different pick. No, I'm sorry, Don, you and I agree. We just we just had a different rival. We had a different American League uh opponent. So we've got two Dodgers votes, so they they are the closest to the consensus as a group and if Ethan were here, I wonder what he would say if he would make it more or maybe he would be a homer pick with Matt. Yep, he would be. I know he would be. <laughs> you know, my biggest my biggest disappointment this season has been the fact that we have not had a chance to see the fans just destroy the Houston Astros. Oh, no mm. kidding. Mm. How lucky did they get? Right. And I mean, yeah, then to see Verlander go out for the year, um that that kind of put a smile on my face, but I mean, just I just can't stand. I just can't uh, stand the fact that harsh. they were. But, but don't I just you can't think, stand the fake. Don't that, you think that is going to carry over into next season when fans I come hope up? So. I mean, they they I can't just so. get away with that without fans. You, you, I hope so. There is so much pent up fandom going on right now, and it is going to erupt as soon as things can go back. To, I mean, just look at college. Look at some of the NFL teams that are out there. People are just itching and dying to just explode on this stuff because it's been pent up for how long it's going to happen. They, they won't so. get away with it. I hope so. Don, are you thinking maybe a conspiracy theory? George Springer went over to China and unleashed this virus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, you know, the China flu really, uh, the Kung flu. I don't know. It's, 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 it's happening. And, it, there's a there's a conspiracy brewing somewhere, and he can't be far from it. I tell you that. Yeah, we'll have to get into that. How this virus was let out at some point that would be a good topic. So, well, that'll that'll wrap up our calling your shot for this week. So we'll move it on over to Ben. I think Ben's up next. Yeah, feel good story of the week. Here we go. This one I dedicate to Don because for a couple reasons. One. His daughter is big into technology, building her own computer. So this is a, a technology-based feel-good story of the week. And two, even earlier in this episode, Don said how big of a fan or how big of a believer and supporter and champion he is for trying to curb climate change. So <laughs> I'd like to go back on the tape on that. <laughs> So my feel-good story of the week, uh, some scientists at Northwestern University have developed a green Game Boy. So this green Game Boy, it actually... Somebody, builds, somebody, somebody mute his mic, please. Yeah, it builds up its own energy by mashing on the buttons. So when you're playing Tetris, the harder you're pounding that A and the B button in directions, it'll recharge the batteries or recharge the console without any batteries. And then it has a little solar part on it, too. So if you're playing during daytime hours, it can build up that way, too. But uh, this is the first step to bringing all of our future electronics and game consoles to uh, be able to basically manufacture their own energy as you play the game. So this is this is for Don. And I, I can see him just a huge smile on his face. And he's excited about this feel-good story of the week. So there is your feel-good story of the week. We are we are going to get this figured out here, team. Praise the Lord. Oh, yeah. Praise we're the getting, Lord. We're getting everybody out of their basements and into their backyards. That's a huge step forward. Does, does this push back AOC's 11-year deadline for the collapse of the world with climate change a little bit? Do we have closer to 15 maybe? It's I think it buys to. us a couple of weeks. Got it. <laughs> We'll take it. Where where do I invest my money? I'm I'm sold. I'm literally green new deal. Here I come. This this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Oh my! Speaking of wow. consumption, speaking of consumption of energy, I am going to be all over Tuesday at 10 a.m. the 22nd of September. I will be having three screens up. As I pre-order my Xbox, I'm going out there, and I'm that's going to be my feel our feel good story for next week. Is if I make sure I get my pre-order. <laughs> I mean, I got Lily on me like a hawk. We are going to get this done. I'm getting ourselves the next gen console, and it's going to be fantastic. And it's going to consume a ton of energy and set back <laughs> global warming. The cool part about that Xbox was. 
that it's backwards compatible all the way back to the original Xbox. So none of those games have to go into the landfill. You can keep them and continue playing those games. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm here to, I'm, I'm Mother Earth. My arms are open wide. <laughs> Do you Don. hurricane and wildfire lover. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Don, and what, Benny, Benny, I know that your kids are are saving up their money for an Xbox. Do they would happen to like a used Xbox? My daughter just told me this idea that she's like, "Well, Dad, if if these kids want to sell these this X, you know, buy an Xbox, why don't we just sell them ours?" I'm like, "Hey, you're right. Don't your kids want to buy an Xbox?" I love it because so far we've raised about forty bucks. Can I get it for? Okay. Free? Forty hey, bucks. You I, got I about two hundred more my dollars, and I'll give you guys the deal. I'm buying a lemonade. I'm buying a lemonade. I'm helping Ben's kids out. We're buying. We're. I'm in. I'm. Bit, I'm in with you. I'm buying hey, some lemonade. I got lemonade. forty-one dollars. <laughs> I'm sending more than that, Ben. Mark my word. It's coming this week. <laughs> just, just wire it my that, way, Betty. We're getting that I'll send kid that in the Xbox. I'll set that bad boy down to down to down south for sure. Now, Don, is there something special about this next Xbox coming out? That I mean, you sound extra jazzed about it. Well, well, yeah, it's it's the new shiny toy. Come on, buddy, you gotta we gotta. Right, I'm shocked that you don't even you don't have the codes for everything already. Working away on those things so that when you invite some friend over and be like, "Hey, would you like to just play try this game out? Let me sh- let me let me just show you. I've never really played it," and then they don't have a chance. Like, um, oh I, well, you, I did this one quick, you know, boom, 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 and then you can't win. Three minutes got- left in the second half. Yeah, A is the pass button. <laughs> yeah. B is the shoot button. Right. I should have told you that. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a totally different person, man. I don't even I don't even recognize the character you guys are describing. I I play Wii like once a month, and I play Mario Kart. That's all I play anymore, and I usually lose now. So, <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a fun guy. The guy you guys are describing. <laughs> all righty, let's uh, let's hand it over to Jeremy. Close us on out with "Fix Your Eyes." All right, gentlemen, I have been. Uh, reading through the Gospels, and uh, particularly Luke, and spent a lot of time there. And the first chapters, uh, really four through about ten, is Jesus' ministry in Galilee, his his home area. And he does an awful lot of healing, an awful lot for people. And uh, it is obvious uh, through his disciples, through what he's done. But in in chapter eight, the middle of chapter eight, um, there's a there's a small little story, four verses, where uh, Jesus calms the storm. He tells his disciples in Matthew, "Hey, let's get in the boat and let's let's go across the lake." And I I have to think that part of it was because of the great crowd that was uh, mentioned there in in Matthew's gospel. But whatever the reason, they get in the boat and they take off. And I think it was because God had a special um, lesson that He needed to teach those who are close to Jesus. And it was going to be through a storm. It wasn't going to be through healing some person or somebody's ailment or casting a demon out. It was going to be Jesus rebuking his creation and the the disciples watching his creation obey his words, which was far different than casting out a demon or healing a a wound or a sickness that had been ailing somebody for, for years. And in the verses, it talks about the fact that Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. He says, let's go across the other side of the lake. They set out, and as he sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus had no concerns, and initially, the disciples didn't either. There was no fear. There was no argumenting, uh, arguing, arguing. There was no questioning. There was no hesitation, no complaint, no distraction, no delay. But very quickly after that, the storm came up, and the first the second thing the disciples did as action go and wake up Jesus. They woke him up. There was an urgency in their minds because they knew um, being out on that lake many, many times that the storm was possibly going to take their lives because it was so uh, bad. Um, some versions say the, the boat was taking on water. The NIV says, uh, Master, Master, save us, we're drowning. So there was a there was an urgency that was there. So they, they saw him Immediately, they saw an impossible storm, a lack of navigation. They had no power to overcome the water, the wind, or the waves. 
were in total fear, total danger, life was in question, no control, and really there was imminent death. And then they saw that they needed to revere Jesus. The scripture says that they were afraid of him, but really the idea was that they, they, they feared him in, a, in an awe-inspired way because they saw something that they hadn't seen before. I mean, the miracles were something to see, but this time he told the wind and the waves to stop and it was calm. And I just want to, I just want to let uh, everybody know, including you guys, that, you know, we go through storms in life and, and that is true. Um, the question that Jesus asked them wasn't, Hey, did you see the storm? Hey, you guys going to be okay? Hey, let's work through this together. He asked them very specifically, where's your faith? He rebuked the storm, which I thought, hey, why not rebuke the disciples? But his rebuke came in the form of a question, uh, where is your faith? And I would ask that question of us as men, as dads, um, as people, you know, working through this world and in the craziness that it is, do we have faith? And in the storm, do we do we have strong enough faith to allow God to work through us and, and to use us as that conduit that he so desires and so I just want to end with that thought that we should have strong faith. We should have giant faith. We should have faith alone in Jesus Christ. And when we do, the storms of life uh, become easier to navigate. They don't go away. The storms will still be there, but they become easier to navigate because there is a God who does not find the storm intimidating. He does not find uh, the storm as impossible. And so that was a great encouragement to me uh, this week as I considered what to, to bring here and to share with uh, you guys and everybody that listens. Uh, and so I just want to, uh, to rejoice in the fact that God is able and he does provide us his strength and his peace and his comfort even in this time. Good stuff, Jeremy. Thanks for sharing with us. The righteous shall live by faith. That's, that's excellent. That's going to wrap it up for episode nine, recorded on September 20th, year of our Lord, 2020. Uh, please leave a review. Uh, please leave a like. Please follow us and subscribe. Uh, again, this is Six in the Mix podcast. Take care.